Hello, I'm Captain Jack here, Kevin Ray. No, I'm kidding. This is Kevin Ray with the Housing Hour, and we are here for our bonus coverage. Uh, I thought that was funny because it's not kind of an Australian accent. It's kind of like an Australian adventure song. I love the music. I feel like we're going to NFL highlights. Oh, yeah. And Eric Ainge came back down the field. Back to pass. And he breaks his collarbone. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys so much for coming into the after hours party. And we have three very important things that we're going to discuss. Uh, number one, we're going to talk about, uh, is it Virga? Is that what it is? Or yes. Virga is when the radar, and we have with us David Manuel. For those of you who are joining us, David Manuel is a meteorologist in the, no, he's kidding. He, he is a passionate. I pretend to be a meteorologist. <laughs> he play, he's a passionate weather enthusiast as well as Mark. And Mark, Mark's really good at sounding like he knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's called salesmanship. <laughs> but he actually does. A clock is right twice a day. A broken one, right? That's a broken right. clock, right twice a day. Yeah, That's Mark. Exactly. But, but Mark, because you, you were talking about the double low, but, the, you know, with all whatever you said. Um, but there's this other saying, too. It's the Texas low, or it's, it's like a, what is it that people say? It's, it's a like, Texas low. It forms over the Louisiana. Yeah. Golf, golf low. Yeah, and so it, it comes up and it dips into the it it dips into that Gulf moisture. Moisture. And then when it brink comes up into the it comes up into the Southern Valley, by golly, you're going to get some snow, right? Is that how right. it works? Well, I have I have right here a synopsis of the superstorm of 1993. Well, good. Coined us. the storm of the century. Yes. And interesting enough, the meteorological history. You know, I'll read this first sentence, mm -hmm. and it says, "Low pressure developed during the day of March 12th along a station." Front. Start, start that over because I missed the mic. Go, <laughs> All right. go ahead. Low pressure developed during yes. the day of March the 12th along a nearly stationary front line along the Texas Gulf Coast. Yeah. There you go. And there he was is. right. He was right. But we had cold air in place. Now, but you said double low. Well, sometimes there's a double low that forms. Yeah. Was this a double low? or a this, one, this one wasn't. So uh, what you're talking about, in interesting enough, there are a couple of textbook storms. This is probably the extent of my meteorological actual study. Uh-huh. Uh, Miller A and Miller B are mm. the two types of storms. And a Miller A is the traditional um, up from the Gulf and rides up the coast, typical uh, nor'easter uh -huh. type storm. And a Miller B will start traversing the south, and then somewhere Georgia-ish will transfer its energy to the coast. Mm. And then another low will form out on the coast. And that sort of, we don't want that to happen here, by the way. The Why? Miller Bs normally rob the energy. And and we uh, do not benefit from those. Is that the out to sea, or that's not the out to sea? No. I mean, the out to sea because the the northerners. That was one thing on Henry Margasetti's page is that everybody was so worried about. Oh, this one's out to sea. This one's out to sea. And out to sea, I think, is what happens is is that the low quickly moves and it doesn't connect with the other energy and link up and, and go up the coast, right? But, right. But explain something to me, because I it, it always happens when there's a low, there's always a high, like over the Ohio Valley, mm -hmm. and that high gets is pow more powerful. What happens is that high pushes down. What happens? If the atmosphere of the high is more strong. It's got a stronger bit of, of su substance on it. And, and it the persimmon, the, the persimmon leaves bring, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, so why is that? Cause there is a high but usually. It, yeah, no, you bring up a really good point. It holds it in place kind of right. Or it pushes it, the load. It does. That's a professional oh, yeah. <laughs> Where, where's that guy? <laughs> John, he's not with us. <laughs> That's right. John's not with us. So, it's interesting because you can look at different levels in the atmosphere. And a lot of times when we talk about 
the low and high pressure systems, we're looking at the surface. But we need for these large, low-pressure systems to also be vertically stacked where you have low pressure not only at the surface but up in the upper levels of the atmosphere. So you have a cold column of air all the way through. Interesting enough, these high-pressure systems that are in the plains, Midwest, or near the Great Lakes are wonderful because of the way they rotate. Mm -hmm. A a low-pressure system will rotate counterclockwise. So if you imagine that the reason why we need a certain track for these low pressure systems is that if you were on the left or if you're in the northwest side of the system, then you're getting air that's being brought from the north. But if you which if, is what which is where the cold air is. Right. If you are on the other side, so if the low pressure system is to your west, mm-hmm. then you're getting the southern flow. You're getting okay. the warm air. So we want that low pressure to be positioned if we're in the Tennessee Valley, you want to be positioned somewhere like in South Carolina, up, oh, in, up in the North Carolina okay. Raleigh area. But at the same time, if you can get a really strong high pressure system in the north, since they flow clockwise, mm-hmm. then it's pushing down cold air at the same time that the low pressure is funneling it in. So if if we sat, if we I guess if we got 30, 40 Black Hawk helicopters to sit over like South Carolina, and push that 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 low back. Would that help? See, he's trying to control it. So that's yeah, what I was again. talking about at the start. Oh, I think you're you're in the right direction. You just mm-hmm. need about forty five. You need about forty five. Yeah, forty is not enough. That's awesome. Now, the other thing that we were going to talk about that was we never got to the Virga. Actually, yeah. let's first get to that. So, yeah. radar. You know, well, actually, just like this week, just on uh, Monday, I woke up at like five in the morning. And it was, of course, it was showing on the radar that there was snow. I already knew it was not going to snow or at least wasn't going to stick. Right. Um, But in this case, uh, there was no snow at all coming out of the atmosphere. But yet it was showing that it was snowing. So why would it show that on the Doppler radar, but it not be coming into my my neighborhood? Well, the Doppler radar is correct in that it is seeing the snow. But depending on how far you are away from the radar, it's looking into a higher elevation in the atmosphere because the the beam at the radar is at half a degree inclination. If okay. you're sitting on top of the radar, I think it's about a couple of hundred feet off the ground maybe. So the radar image from 200 feet away is, or I'm sorry, right next to the radar is 200 feet high. In Knoxville, I think it's like 1,300 feet. And the farther away you get, it goes up to almost 4,000 feet. So you're looking at a picture of the upper areas of the atmosphere and not what's going on at the ground, uh-huh. which brings the next question, why is it in the upper levels and not in the lower? Yeah. If you have dry air, as the precipitation falls, it evaporates before it hits the ground. So it's the actually coming down. It's just the, it's, it's basically that not enough moisture has saturated the upper or the lower part of the atmosphere. That's right. Basically. Yeah. And, and what will solve that, I guess, is... Well, number one, if if we had had some moisture in the air in the preceding days um, as it relates to storms or another thing that I've always heard and thought was that, let's say the, the ground was wet from a previous rain. And as it's beginning to what is that process called? Evaporation. Mm-hmm. And then that evaporation meets the cold air. And then maybe then that will help to saturate. I'm so far over my head. But that's kind of what happens. Right. And what's interesting about it, the the thing I like the best about this type of situation and scenario is that one thing has to happen for the water to evaporate. Mm -hmm. It needs to be heated. Now, it's hard to think about this when it's so cold. 
but the evaporation of the water actually removes heat from the air, so it cools the column of air as it's evaporating. Oh, wow. That's cool. So did you know that, Mark, about Virga? I had no idea. So the more of that you have, then it's going to start cooling the temperatures down so that when the next bout of precipitation comes, it could fall as snow. I've got another question. Real quick before you do that, I'm going to see if this works. This is from WBIR back in 1993. This is from a news report. Blinding snow that's paralyzed Knoxville in the entire East Tennessee region took many by surprise. We just wasn't prepared for this. We didn't think, it, I didn't think it, that it would really hit. We've, we've heard it so much and in East Tennessee, you just don't get this kind of weather. But we did, and everything in the storm's path has been covered in a thick white blanket. Many people who have to get where they're going have decided to weather the elements and walk instead. The roads are just too treacherous. Downed power lines have meant lots of cold homes. KUB says it may be 12 hours before power is restored to the 30,000 plus people who are without it. The Shipes came to this convenience store to fill up their kerosene cans. Diane Shipe knows snow. She's from Boston. And this is a typical north, northeast storm, but the problem is there they have power and equipment. They don't have it. But what snow equipment the city does have has been put to use since early this morning, scraping streets. So have about 200 police officers, firefighters, and rescue workers. They're doing whatever they can to assist people who need them the most. We have made preparations for 12-hour rotating shifts. Uh, our officers will not leave. They'll sleep at the station uh, or at the fire stations that we have uh, throughout the, the city. You know what's amazing about that is that they we really weren't prepared for that storm. It was not something, I mean, they knew it was going to snow, but... I mean, I'm just watching this video, and this is a really cool video, um, and it shows, and, and by the way, that's Robin Wilhoyd, if you can't tell, and she sounds exactly the same, and probably, I mean, she really actually looks exactly the same, but it was just a really amazing that, you know, we weren't prepared, we, you know, the police had to go to extraordinary lengths to protect people, I mean, there was a lot of deaths in that storm that people just didn't know about. They didn't, they didn't realize it was going to, I mean, the power, I think that she mentioned 12 hours, it was way longer than that. And the other thing about it is the preparation or, uh, you know, the um, road crews going out and putting rocks off. Today, we've got a lot different process, a lot different chemicals that we spray on the ground. It's a different way to fight today than we had back in 93. That's very true. That's so, true. I mean, when did that all, when did the, uh, the brining solution start? Do you have any idea? What is brine? You know the brine, the salt, the salt, salt solution that solution. they uh, they throw down. I yeah, it's just like four or five like, years ago. It seems like I remember it maybe in the early two thousands. Yeah. Now I've got something interesting, guys. Here, this is a guy on March 9th, Glenn Burns, one of the very few people. This is his forecast. This is his his live forecast, and I promise it's real. I'll put it up on the website. But this was what he said about the storm on March 9th. So listen here. As soon as I get it up to hearing. And then, and then several days before, I was noticing what looked almost like a hurricane on the weather charts developing out of the Caribbean, moving to the Gulf of Mexico. And I said, well, if this Arctic air that's coming down should ever meet that, it would be catastrophic here. I told my news director, I said, this, this could be unbelievable. This could be biblical proportions. And he goes, what do you mean by that? I said, well, 30 inches of snow is not out of the question in North Georgia. He said, you can't go out in the air and say that. I 
They said, well, that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's a blizzard. So I went out on a limb a couple of days before, and I warned everybody. I said, this is indeed going to be the storm of the century. Isolating. Get the milk and bread. This is the big one. 30 inches of snow is very possible across northern Georgia. I couldn't sleep, to say the least. So 3 o'clock in the morning, looking out the window, it's raining. 4 o'clock, <laughs> it's raining. 5 a.m., it's raining, and I'm going, I just, this is the end of my career. This is the end of my career. It would have been. So I went back to bed. I tried to get at least an hour's sleep. Woke up about 6.30. I looked out the window. I couldn't see Peachtree Street. It was covered in snow, and it was blowing snow. It was. Like, I think that's so yeah, amazing that's that cool. that guy... Because, I mean, there wasn't a lot of people going out on the limb. I think people were saying, oh, it could be four to six inches. You know, not. I mean, he, he was just straight up saying it was 30 inches, you know. Um, now, the third thing that we were going to mention in the after show, because we're already at 13 minutes and we, we don't want to take much more time. And you got kids you got to get home to and all that. But is your prediction on what the snow is now? We know John Lindsay <clears throat> says 11 inches. That was his true um, opinion. I think he was being truthful there. Um, my opinion is I'm going to say we're going to have between seven and nine inches. Uh, Mark's flurries. Dusting. Dusting. That's what it was, a dusting. And now what does your say, David? I have a really scientific answer for this. Uh-huh. I'm going to go with eight inches because the number of eight looks like a snowman. <laughs> <laughs> that could very well be the case. I don't know. I mean, it's just going to be very interesting because we've already seen earlier than I remember that one snow that was coming yeah, in November. That was, yeah. that was a, a, maybe a, a good sign. And we're snow lover, lovers, obviously, full disclosure. But we understand that their safety is well involved. So, um, guys, is there anything else that we wanted to share about? We no, better? but when the next storm comes around, if it starts predicting, we're coming on air. Yes, I agree with that. And we will come with this music. Safe. Live. From MIG Studios. And they came into the MIG Studios to right. record. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Eric Ains dropped backs to pass. <laughs> the blizzard <laughs> of 2020. There you go. That would be awesome. We'll have the whole nine yards. But seriously, thank you, David, so much for coming in. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. John, thank you. Oh, wait, he's not here. Yeah, he's not here. Thank you, Mark, as well. Thank you, Kevin. Guys, we'll see you next time right here on the Housing Hour.